everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Myo Minds podcast. As always, I am your host, George, and today I'm here with Aidan. Aidan, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. We've been kind of planning to, to have this podcast for a bit. I saw, well, I didn't see, I listened to your podcast with Hannah for the Fuller Beans. You were her first first ever pod. And we've been kind of in the in the talks to get one sorted for a while. So I'm excited to, to speak to you. Stephanie, it's lovely to meet you all beat through Zoom, which is yeah, the new norm with uh, the current climate. But yeah, hopefully one day we can actually shake hands. Yeah, well, I'm sure we will one day. I'll come and um show you how to box or something. <laughs> uh, speaking of boxing, um people who who maybe haven't read the description of the podcast won't understand the the humor i was i was attempting to to make there um but aiden you are a, a boxer and at quite a high level from what i've heard could you tell people a little bit about your boxing career yeah so i, I was i used to box um and yeah sort of box was a bit of a strong term i was a bit of a sort of very fit walking punch bag but yeah i um before i moved to london i lived in sheffield um and yeah just got friends with a, a, a lad whose dad had a boxing gym, went down the boxing gym and just, um, yeah, got a bit of a taste for it. Competed at a, just like a club level, really. Mm-hmm. Um, claim to fame, I got selected to box for Yorkshire and Gibraltar, uh, but then the, the, the show got cancelled, so it's only a bit oh. of a, a semi-claim to fame. <laughs> hey, that, getting, getting picked is good enough, that's all it matters. You. If anything, you got, you got the best of both worlds. You got picked and you didn't have to actually do it, so winner yeah i didn't get a flat nose so uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i had a very i don't know if i mentioned this in the pod before but i had a very short-lived boxing career i did a charity fight for whilst i was at uni for my undergrad and i yeah. we did like it was one of those ones where you have six months training and then you do do the fight um and i did my fight and i found out i'm definitely not a fighter i i honestly and truly I lost on points and I honestly really during the fight all I was like a lot of the time I was thinking I don't want to hurt this guy like every time I'd hit him I'd kind of I'd wince and be like so that was when I realized it really wasn't for me punching the bags I was great I didn't care about hitting the bags but like hitting the yep. person I'm not I'm not trying to make excuses I'm also just not great at it but at the same time I also realized that I yeah don't have that don't have that that bone in my body there goes my alarm I'm unprofessional as ever there we go. Um, we'll leave that in for the for the viewers, um, listeners. But yeah, I'm not not a don't have that nasty bone in my body to get to get through that. Um, yeah, me neither. I wouldn't um, describe myself as a fighter outside of things. I just I was always scared of getting put on my bum in front of like parents and friends. So I just thought if I could just keep running forward and uh, yeah, stay stood on my feet, then that would be a, a bit of a benefit. That sort of got me through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. 
um yeah kind of boxing is one of your um one page of your story and i guess i wanted to talk to you today because we have um similar experiences in being guys with experience of an eating disorder which isn't something that you know a lot of people talk about or isn't something that is yeah. or pe people are, are that aware of and um, so I, I i always i was hesitant to, when i sent you the questions before and i was hesitant to write this one out because i think it's a bit open-ended but i'm interested in how you do um answer this question but you know i where i want to kind of start from the beginning so um when do you think you first started your eating disorder behaviors and also yeah i guess what kind of eating disorder behaviors did you did you experience yeah so my uh, my official sort of clinical uh diagnosis was bulimia nervosa um and i was i suppose technically i was diagnosed when i was 21 um I'd sort of been presenting with these issues since I was sort of 16, 17. Um, and I think I'd, I'd always competed in, in weight category sports. I'd done a lot of sort of grappling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, things like that before. Um, and I think looking back retrospectively, I was already probably more on the line of disordered eating rather than an actual eating disorder at the time. Mm. Um, that place of a lot of emphasis on body weight and shape and, and, and making weight obviously was a, a big thing to compete. Um, but yeah, specifically with the eating disorder, I, I sort of started boxing. I quit the jiu-jitsu when I was sort of 16 and then just put a lot of weight on just because I, I was doing no physical activity whatsoever. Um, and yeah, I just sort of, I, I became quite a big lad. Um, and then a friend of mine took me to the, a boxing gym. He lived on my estate and I loved it. Really started falling in love with it. And even, I can always remember that the first session I went on the, the body bag um and i was thinking myself as a little bit of a ricky atten so i was sort of screaming at the top of my voice and trying to sort of punch an hole in this guy and after sort of 60 seconds i was like on my hands and knees nearly throwing up and the i always remember taking the gloves off and the smell on my hands which sounds it was just sort of decades of other people's sweat really but um <laughs> but for some reason it just it, it, it hooked me um but very quickly i started losing a lot of weight i went from doing no physical activity to training three days a week um, and quite sort of intense sessions. Um, and then my friendship circle very quickly became other amateur boxers. I wasn't a boxer at the time, but I've started spending all my time around these new lads and I thought they were brilliant. They were, you know, these big tough guys. And, you know, I thought that, yeah. And I started checking my weight a lot. So after session, before and after sessions, I would get in weight just because that was the normal behavior. Um, and after about sort of five, five or six months-ish, that's when I, um, I was invited to come to sparring. And I can remember it as clear as day when this, I think this is sort of the, when it started turning into the actual eating disorder rather than the disordered eating. It was, I forget the weight, it was a hundred and something kilos. And my coach just said, oh, if you can be below this weight for next week, we'll have you sparring this this other lad that was in my gym just to sort of even the weights up a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, no problem. And just woke up the day off. I was bang on the weight, had some breakfast, a cup of coffee, shower, got weighed and I was over. And I thought, well, you know, I, I can't go running because I'm gonna have heavy legs and that's not great. Um, I can't sweat it out, I've not got enough time. And yeah, so my bulimia was self-induced vomiting. Um, and it was really strange, sort of did that. I sort of got rid of the, the, the weight of the food made, I was on the way and 
it was like a little light bulb moment. It, it, it wasn't this sort of sinister, you know, I shouldn't have done that. It was like, oh, you know, I've, I've sussed it. If I'm ever low, if I'm ever struggling at the weight, I can just do this. And, and I think in boxing, both amateur and pro, you hear of sort of weight making processes that are just illegal for one and they're just, they're awful. Um, so even in that six months, I'd heard about people doing certain things and what have you. Um, and yeah, that's when, that's when I started. The, the, the weight, the weight cutting, um, first of all, thank you for sharing that. But I, I also, I just wanted to point on the, the weight cutting thing I, from my experience hearing those conversations and I've not been involved in too many, but I've been involved in few, but there's almost like a pride in your ability to endure it and how far you can push it. Is that something you've experienced? You got any examples of that? Yeah, I um, I can always remember going to a physio. Um, I I hurt my shoulder sparring, and I was still probably about yeah, about ten kilos higher than what I boxed at. Um, and the physio was also working with with some of my friends, and um, yeah, I sort of you've mentioned working at the sort of top levels of amateur boxing. And as she was sort of giving me the assessment, I just you know pointed out that oh you know she's like, you need your fight weight I said oh no I've still got another 10 kilos and just she was sort of taken back by it and the pride that I got to like yeah, you know I'm like this is amazing and and even in the gym you know you'd I'd get because I like I say I was quite high weight so when I got I think I dropped about 40 kilos to compete and just the sort of the um yeah a lot of people were bigging me up for it you know like look at this you know you're six pack and you've you know I've got that oblique muscles coming through and it's it's exactly like you say it's almost like um you could get a, a, some of the lads would get a phone call on Tuesday to box on the Saturday and they'd be sort of three kilos heavier uh, three kilos over the weight and it's like yeah no problem I'll do that yeah chuck me in and it's yeah, I suppose it's like that ego uh, that sort of ego in it that masculinity sort of coming through yeah and I, I think masculinity is something I'm gonna uh, I want to talk to you about because it played a big role in in mine i'm interested in your 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 kind of um relationship with that as well but i i just wanted to touch on there that i um you know the reason i asked about that pride is because you know my my thing when i was like in my eating disorder and when it was at its worst was i was massively into like bodybuilding and um for me it was i found i had so much pride and if i'm honest you know i the narrative, the story I told myself was I'm better than other people because my I, I can go through more pain to stick to this really rigid diet. Um, I do cardio you know, when I don't want to and I'm dripping in sweat and I'm exhausted and like, I feel like I'm going to faint. I keep going or whatever. And you know, I thought, you know, not only did I think um, like feel have pride for it, but you know, it was my way of saying this is proof that I'm like you know equal or better than other people and um if people told me that it was too much or extreme my response was um you know they just you just don't get it like you're you know you're not at my level that's how I felt that I don't know if you had the same but I that's what I convinced myself that I'm just at another level like you just you just you can't you can't match my deter you know I call it determination but really it was you know something more sinister but is that something you experienced as well? 
Yeah, and I think I used to say it all the time when people would say, you know, I think you're doing a bit too much, or you know, you um, especially around weight. When I was when the uh, bulimia really sort of got its claws in, people would always say, you know, you're losing a bit too much, or you, you know, you, you're training too much, and I, and it makes me cringe thinking about it. But the amount of times I've said to people, oh, well, that says more about you than it does me, and I'd say it in such a, I think it was venomous as well because I'd like, how dare you tell, you know, how dare how dare you speak to me like that. Um, but also that pride that, you know, like you've just said, I'm, I'm made of something different. We're cut from a different cloth and you couldn't possibly do what I'm doing because I'm this sort of, yeah, this amazing specimen of, of, of you know, man. And, and, and there's no way you could possibly do that. And yeah, I'd, it's, um, I've got a sort of big smile on my face of the embarrassment of thinking of how I used to think. Yeah, but it, it it's true. And I think that's why it's really important to be, honest about it because you know especially you know, the, the kind of people i'm trying to reach with my podcast and with my minds are people like us who you know maybe still in that position where they are convincing themselves of that and you know at the time it's it's something i eternally struggle with because you know people often talk about you know the when is it a, an issue when can exercise or sport be a problem and one of the things is you know it becomes clinically significant distress or you know clinically significant whatever but you know, when I was in that when I was in that place and I was I thought that at the time I felt good like I was fine like like I, as you know, as far as I was concerned I was fine like you know I felt a bit shit and I and maybe you know I, I wasn't speaking to as many people or as many friends but I didn't care so you know but you know I think what's really important is as much as, as just because something is or feels good doesn't mean that there's not a better and the 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 side that i'm on now and I, I, you're nodding so i imagine you agree with me but you know being out yeah. of that now and, and starting to become more accepting of who i am and and be okay with who i am and not having to you know, prove that i'm more in some kind of way or, or write this story in my head that i'm better than is so much better because it's so much less energy uh, like yeah, sorry, I'm I'm talking for over here, but you know, I used to I used to uh, walk down walking down the street. If there was like you know, the idea of being like the man was so strong for me that even just walking down the street, if there was somebody walking the other way, I would be tossing in my head of like who's going to move out of the way. Um, if I move out of the way, then I'm weaker than him, and you know, I, I had all these little games constantly going on in my head. I don't, again, I don't know if that's something you, you've, you've experienced. You're smiling and kind of nodding. So, Yeah, I think it, it, it's a game of two sides for me, really. And yes, in answer to your initial question, yeah, I definitely felt that. And I think for me, it came from two ways. One being that I think even to an extent now, I'm quite an insecure person. And I'm not sure if it's environmentally where I grew up, but I sort of wanted people to see me as something that I knew deep down I wasn't, i.e. this sort of tough guy that's not going to move when you're walking down the street. Mm. Um, but I think you'll, I, I, again, yeah, I'm not sure if you've had this yourself, but I think also in sport, you're taught that, especially if you're competing, you, you, you're sort of taught to, you know, the, the bloke that stood across me when I was younger, when I was grappling, you know, like, this, you cannot stop me. There's nothing you can do to... to this this is going one way and exactly the same with the boxing even in sparring it could be my best friend getting in and like there's only one way this is going to end um yeah it's interesting yeah I've, I've never really thought about the way that sport influenced me although i'm sure it did 
because I was I was into rugby when I was younger and and that again is you know if you're, you're running at someone with the ball or someone's running at you with the ball it's you know it's you versus them it's and fit, I suppose yeah the way it was taught to me again was it's it's like this is the moment of proving you're the alpha that like you're either going to come out of this as the alpha male or the beta male and that's it and yeah that that's what it felt like and every time i miss it i'm kind of i feel like i'm having a revelation on the podcast but if i ever <laughs> if i missed a tackle or something i would it would eat me up like it would really eat me up inside and i think that's why is because to me it was i've lost you know my masculinity i lost like that one of those points you know what some of that capital that masculine capital um yeah yeah, so you could. I, I, the reason I, I kind of made a note on my on my laptop whilst you were speaking earlier, and I feel like I've just kind of gone off on one because I think this this podcast is a dangerous one because we've got so much in common. It's really easy for me to just be like, oh, and just kind of keep going. So I'm going to try and keep a structure to it for everyone listening. Um, but you mentioned earlier about you said, you because know, you so you had you gained all this weight and you went to this boxing gym and you had all what you described as these tough guys there um and i don't know if if you uh you know associated you know i think tough is a classic masculine trait or you're something that we often you know um put together with masculinity whether that's right or not uh but maybe you um associated their physiques or the fact that they were you know like muscular or whatever with being tough and therefore being masculine is that something that you think you had experienced definitely i think it's um you know even watching as a child watching like wwe you'd have these mountains of men that have sub five percent body fat you know and and i come in watching it as a kid thinking oh, you know i wish i could pick like a 19 stone bloke up above my head and, and throw him throw him out the ring right and then when I went into the boxing gym, I'd just these lads that weren't, you know, they weren't units, they were quite slim, fit lads that just that, and I, I, that in itself was sort of attractive to me. You know, I wanted to look like that. I, I very much bought into that, you know, you've got to look like from Monday to Sunday, like you could just walk onto the front page of Men's Health magazine without trying. And then when I'd see them sparring and sort of really going for it and how technically good they were, it was, that as well it was just literally just that feeling of i i want that i want to be that i want to be able to walk around and and as much as there was a, a genuine love for the sport it, it was also that i wanted to be one of these lads i wanted to have my head shaved and to you know be single digit body fat and be going up and down country fighting it was yeah it was very appealing to me as a young lad yeah and, and you know the you said as well how as you got further into your sport and it was a, a exact i had the exact same experience with um the fitness community or you know I, I was into bodybuilding but i never like competed so it was i was more just the kind of the you know, the, i don't even know what to call them but like the gym rats the fitness community but like the yeah. bodybuilding community but not like actually competing those kind of people and um, but you know, your your entire social circle becomes that as well so you know people used to always say to me like you know why is it so important and you know i guess i i couldn't answer it other than just i thought it was amazing but you know looking back now you know everyone i spoke to was also 
like obsessed with it you know all all my friends were obsessed with with bodybuilding and, and lifting weights all their friends were obsessed with it you know we were just we were just this circle of, of that's all it was and that's all we ever spoke about and that's all that that's all that matters um so like kind of no wonder and that's a slippery slope because it can happen so easily and it's almost it's it's not not only can it happen easily but it, it's like expected to happen or or it's it's uh it's like a positive thing like if it does happen it's it's you know it's what i'm looking for i feel like when you get into the sporting world people are rooting for you to get obsessed with it people are like this is you know they're, they're pushing you towards that Yeah, definitely. And the, the part about sort of the social circle within weeks, I'd gone from just having friends, normal friends is the wrong word, but sort of like non-athlete friends. Yeah. To like, I've got this sort of uh, this um, like pastel blue Corsa, like the old sort of Corsa with the terrible drum and bass music blaring out of it in my tracksuit. But, um, <laughs> and we'd, I'd drive on, I'd constantly be with lads from gym. Um, and that obsessiveness as well was, I think there's something I suppose we could talk about later, but the, the context of that obsessional behaviours is that the friends that I was in the car with and driving around with have now gone on to go to sort of the Olympics and Commonwealth Games and have now turned pro, some are, are world champions, and it's, they needed that, 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 it, well, that wasn't um, sort of obsessional, that was necessary, that, mm. that was their life, they had nothing else. I was at uni, um, you know, that rhetoric of boxing, you know, being 99% of people are uneducated and if they weren't fighters, they would they'd be in prison sort of thing. And that was the furthest thing away from what I was. And I wasn't able to take that in context. So I very quickly became obsessed. I, you know, dietary habits completely changed. I'd be up at four o'clock to do my running. I was doing everything that these lads were doing. But I just forgot that I wasn't a GB level, excuse me, a GB level athlete. I was just a mm. hobbyist, really. Yeah, and that it is, it can, yeah, like you say, you can, you can end up taking on these practices that um, are extra. And it, it's, it's part of the thing with sport. And you, you, you said yourself there that for them, the obsession fulfilled a purpose. And, and that this is kind of the, the, one of the constant problems that I, try and tussle with in my head with you know, trying to push this message through my minds is when when is it an issue because you know, to be to be an olympic athlete to be like the best in the world to some degree you do have to have that obsessive behavior or that obsessive and and if if you don't then you're probably going to lose the person who does and that's you know that's it's, it's a problem um i guess for, for me and maybe i don't know if you agree with this but I, I think what, what needs to happen is, first of all, we need to accept that getting into these sports like weight cutting sport, any sport, I suppose, to a, to a degree, we need to accept that the behaviours that people are going to have pushed on them or that they're going to um, have kind of nourished through sport or through competing could lead to an issue. We need to accept that that's a thing. And then once we've accepted that, then we can start letting people know. Like if, if, if when you first got into boxing, it was, you know, a conversation that every coach has with their athlete is just so you know, like, you know, when you get into sport and it's great and it's going to be really good for your physical health and stuff, but you also need to be careful that 
you know, these guys are going to be training a lot and that can lead to issues that can lead to, to problems and if that is the case you can come to us and talk or you can say you know you can talk to someone about it um do you think that's ever do you, first of all do you think that's a good idea and second of all do you think that's ever that's possible like in a boxing gym environment could you see a coach actually doing that I think that I, I do think it's a good idea. I think it's in and it's it's almost it's already there in in the sense of physical uh, injuries, if you will. I, I can't really call an eating disorder an injury, but it's if 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 you were sort of sparring, let's say, and your hands were hurting, you'd know that I'm going to take a couple of days off. I need to rest up with something going wrong. I'll I'll go and see a physio, or I'll just not do any punching. I'll just do footwork drills and stuff, and that's accepted. The amount of times I've sort of sparred with only one glove on and things like that. Um, so yeah, just having that conversation saying, look, how are things? And, and rightly so, the emphasis of that being placed on the coach. Um, you have debates all the time of whether coaches should pull the fighters out of a fight and, you know, should they just get in there and, and get beaten to a pulp? And it's well, no, as a coach, you've got a, a priority to, to, to keep your athlete safe because the athlete's not going to do it. If they've gotten themselves to a certain level, they aren't, they aren't just going to fold. Um, and to ask, yeah, to answer the second question, I'm not sure. I think if, yeah, I wouldn't, probably not. I think from the experiences that I've had, and I've only ever really been in the one gym, I couldn't have really imagined having that um, conversation. And I think that's not anything against sort of my coach. It was me as well. Like I, the, the environment wasn't fostered. It was very much just sort of shut up, grind down. You've got the weight to lose, do it or don't box. It's as simple as that. Um, but I'd like to think that with such as podcasts like this raising that awareness, especially in athletes and sort of sport, ex-athletes and sporting um, circles that maybe add sort of the um, the older faces in boxing and other sports start to sort of fade out and newer coaches come in that, that there's a more holistic approach to sort of athlete health and well-being that, that's inclusive as sort of the stuff that's going on upstairs. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, I think a really good point you made, and I, I think the reason the reason I asked if you think it was possible is because you know I I I have conversations about mental health with people like I guess semi professionally on this doing this podcast, and you know in my job as well I talk to people do I do uh, mental health conversations professionally as well, but you know, even I sometimes you know with my mates who who I who I'm still in touch with from like my gym life and things. I can feel uncomfortable talking about mental health with them still. So, you know, I, and it's because of that, that masculine idea or that, that narrative. And it's, and it's so huge. And, you know, you mentioned then, and I didn't think about this, but it is a thing in, in boxing, the, the idea of, you know, the, you, know, you can't back down to the other man. Like you can't, you, you have to be tough. It's so, um, is so like extreme that a coach is in two minds whether to pull their athlete out when they're getting the shit beaten out of them. Like you know, the, the coach is, is like that that masculine story is is so strong that the coach is like, oh maybe I should just let him get the shit beat out of him because it's for his masculine honor or whatever bullshit thing it is, which is it is bullshit. But you know I get it because I've you know I've been there, yeah. I've been there and I, I get it. Um, but it is so strong, isn't it? And I, yeah, it's just how do we how do we break that down and you know you said rightly these conversations i think is is the way and um i know the lot the more i've been doing this podcast and the more 
I force myself to have those conversations with people, the more I kind of start to realize that it those conversations can happen and the more I get comfortable at having them. Definitely. And I think it's um sorry, I'll just clean my thought. Um it's uh, yeah, definitely. I think it's and also conversations about about excuse me, around what being a bloke is. Um and I think for myself, sort of where I grew up and, and the sort of the, the message that's passed around about how you should act and like, yeah, what a man is. And it's nine times out of 10 for, for most. Um, so I, I came from sort of a very working class background is that you, you either gave it back as good as you got and took it to the level that they were taking it to, or you become a bit of a victim. And I think a lot of my problems came because I kind of fell in that gray zone where I wasn't uh, sort of bullied or anything like that, but I definitely wasn't. A, a lot of the friends that I had were sort of quite tough, to repeat the word, quite tough guys and, and sort of physical altercations didn't bother them and just the way they saw the world were different to me. Um, so I think speaking to young lads, especially from sort of poorer working class backgrounds, but all the way through sort of mental health and eating disorders and mental and psychiatric conditions aren't sort of exclusive to working class men. It's um, just changing the conversation around what masculinity is and what being a man is i think that's crucial to to, to start change across all sectors not just athletic uh, athletes or you know general population banking and things like that where depression is through the roof it's yeah i think changing that is is paramount yeah i i couldn't i couldn't agree more and i think um that's you know that's the way it should be tackled is is changing the way that we teach people masculinity because you know this is maybe a bit controversial but when i when i hear the the topic of toxic masculinity i i sometimes wince because i think you know for me when i was in when i was in that bodybuilding world if someone mentions like toxic masculinity or anything anti-masculine anti-tough guy anti-bodybuilder anti-huge i immediately shut off like i'm like i don't give a shit i'm better than you like you're just trying to pull me down like i couldn't i couldn't care less but i think that idea what you're saying there of of coming in with like actually to be a man or to be masculine isn't about being the hugest guy, the most intimidating presence. It's not, it's, you know, if, for me now, I think everyone should have their own, you know, it's, it's a fluid concept. I think everyone should have their own idea of what masculinity is. Um, and I think, you know, I, don't, I don't think it is a, a gendered thing either. I don't think it is, you have to be male to, to want masculinity. I think it can be, um, you know, any gender. But I think, it, you know, for me personally, it's, it's being sure of myself. Um, like you know, knowing who I really am and what I value, and sticking with that, and not you're not allowing an awkward situation or you know someone disagreeing with me or whatever to make me back down, and you know to stick with my opinions and be true to who I am. That's what masculinity is. And I'm kind of getting emotional as I'm saying it because it, it is that important to me. You know, I think that that's having that that. Because every, everyone, everyone says when you're growing up, like, well, you got to be yourself, you got to be yourself. But no, like, nobody really takes that on. Like, you just think, like, everyone just says it was bullshit. But genuinely, just, you know, and it's, sometimes it's hard to even know what yourself is, but discover what you actually want and work at discovering that and then stick with it. And you know, think that that's what masculinity 
for me anyway that's what it's about I agree and I think it's it's so hard as well right like it's I think I, I'm 25 and I've only just started being able to say you know that I have got a lot of insecurities that make me act a certain way and in certain situations I'll, I'll act differently um like if 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 friends from home will come to London and we go for a drink, I'll probably speak a different way or I'll act a different way or use different words than if, you know, I was with a patient at work. And it's, it's, it's sort of dynamic, isn't it? It's not, it's quite cliche to say, but like, no, what you're never going to wake up. Well, I, I suppose I'm speaking anecdotally for myself, but I don't think I'll ever wake up and be like, yeah, boom, I'm 100% comfortable with me and this is where I am. It's just... Mm. Like you say, I think it's just sticking to your guns and thinking, right, you know, there are going to be days, probably weeks where I deviate and maybe I, you know, I sort of tend to old tricep as I walk past the car or something like that. But it's just then sort of watching that really and, and just sort of containing it and, and not just pushing it to a corner. It's sort of accepting it, regulating it and thinking like, right, how do we now learn from this? Yeah, I, I agree completely. And yeah, please, please for, for you and for other people listening, don't think that when I'm saying that I've kind of understood that what masculinity is for me, that I've got that. Like, I'm definitely not 100% saying myself. I definitely still, I've done it multiple times today, like flexed in the mirror to make sure, you know, to get that a moment of like, oh, I'm still, actually, I'm still all right. Like, because I still, you know, I definitely have issues with especially muscularity for me has always been a thing like again being obsessed with bodybuilding and stuff um it can definitely you know if i see myself at a bad angle or you know bad being in, in inverse commas there but um you know i can i can yeah. get a sense of like or you know maybe actually i'm not as worthy or you know there's some kind of problem there um but yeah i think i think just uh, yeah the i guess what what the message i want to portray to people listening is um you know it's really important to have a good idea of what you know you're striving for and you know, i'm talking about the the masculine side of what i'm striving for here or the masculinity side um it's really good to have that idea of what it is in it from my from my personal opinion um but yeah i i am exactly the same as you like you know you haven't said fully and maybe i'll ask you about it but I think a lot of my problems came from, or I know for a fact that my problems come from a root of, I don't think I'm worthy. Like I, don't, I just don't think I have worth as a person and I still struggle with that to this day. And um, what I did, and this is very um, simplified, but basically what I did was I said, I'm going to pick one thing and that's going to be what makes me worthy. I'm going to lean on that. And that's going to make me a worthy person. So I was like, I'm just going to get as huge, as muscular, as determined as possible in this bodybuilding world. And that's me. Um, and that's where, you know, when you've been on one thing, all these problems can, can arise. Um, I, I, from, from what you said, it sounds like that's kind of what it was with you as well, that the, the being a boxer was what you lent on, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's more... Um... For myself, I think it was more like an insecurity thing and, and rather than, although I suppose a lot of worth, I suppose it's sort of intertwined together. Um, and it, I, I found this, this is actually something that I found really difficult. And it's only been, to be honest, I, I listened to a podcast, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but of yourselves when you were talking about sort of simplifying the eating disorder sort of process and journey. And it was sort of listening to that and it clicked because I'd be sat in sessions when I was, you know, with the, the psychologist and I was actually in treatment 
and they speak about sort of um, like control and things like that. And I am quite a controlling person. Like if we're going out, I want to know what time the tubes come in, what time they need to set off. But the eating disorder wasn't because of that. Like, and it, it caused a lot of confusion and sort of pushback for me. But yeah, with the boxing, I, I knew that I wasn't the guy I was trying to be. And this, but then when I was boxing and I'd sort of, it, it sounds quite, um, yeah, I suppose I don't think I've ever really said it out loud, but I'd get a black eye or I'd get cut or I've got quite sharp cheekbones. So I'd, I was forever getting little sort of cuts along my eyes and black eyes and things like that. And I'd walk down the street and I'd see sort of someone look at me and I was a lot slimmer than I am now. I'd have sort of my head completely shaved and it felt good. Someone would look at me and I'd see them sort of go like, oh, the same way I'd have looked at me now and I'd sort of probably grab, put my money in a tighter pocket just in case, you know, it's, but I loved it. I'd, it fed this insecurity. It gave me sort of, it sort of took it away. Even though I knew I wasn't that person, everyone thought that I was. I was constantly posting stories online of, of on like Snapchat and Instagram and things like that of sort of after I finished a run, you know, five miles in the bag in in my sweatsuit and my beanie hat and things like that. Or after I'd finished sparring, I'd, you know, put my hand around my mate and we'd get a picture with his fists up. And it wasn't because I wanted a picture with a friend. It's because I wanted people to see me in all my gear with blood all over my face thinking, quite Ada must be a piece of work. You know, he must be quite handy. Um, and even sort of, I'm laughing because it's I've seen loads of memes sort of tell me you're a boxer without telling me you're a boxer. It's a guy at a wedding with his wife and he's got his fist, sort of his fist sensed up <laughs> and just things like that. And it's pictures that I'd have and I'd sort of put my finger up and it, just this stupid stuff really looking back. But at the time it was everything like that was my identity. And I had not like you say, nothing else mattered. I'd skip class at uni. I mean, I hated the course I was on at the time anyway, but that, by the by, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd cut class at uni and I was failing. I was dropping, my grades were sort of plummeting, but it didn't matter because I was still getting faster. I was still getting fitter. I was still getting stronger. Um, and yeah, the, the insecurity in myself um, was, I think, really that sort of catalyst that, that made it go from just the normal, I've got to do this to compete into something sort of a lot more... Um, yeah, malicious, really. Yeah, and uh, man, I can't, I can't tell you how much I resonate with what you were saying. I was, you know, the the bodybuilding equivalent of exactly what you just said. You know, our thing is, is you put your thumb up and you point your bicep out in front of the further forward to the camera rather than the fist. Um, and you know, I was, yeah. I was posting stories. You know, people, if pe- people, and maybe there's people listening to this who, who I've been friends with for years and um, followed my personal instagram you know a couple of years back you know i had i've deleted them all because I, I i don't like that i had them there and, and stuff and i don't do the stories anymore but i you know every other photo was me with my top off and you know flexing in the mirror or a video of me like flexing my leg or you know whatever and and you, know, you get the sometimes i look back at my archive stories on instagram and they're and they're all just me it was some of it i was like but naked like because it's what the bodybuilding culture is like people just you take like obviously you, you cover up the, the the bits you're not supposed to show but 
you know, you people because in bodybuilding community, you just take you do that, you take photos of yourself naked and like flexing. And I used to just do videos and like pictures, and I it was because and if anyone thought it was weird or wrong, they just didn't get it. That's that was what was in my head, and it's it is funny looking back, and you you were laughing you know, yourself looking back at how kind of you you, know, you feel how it's silly, and I I'm the same. You know, looking back now, I think God, you know it it's so obvious to me now that it was out of insecurity. Um, but the, the narrative for me was just, um, yeah, like I'm just better than I'm better than, um, but I guess, yeah, underneath, I always knew that I had this, this negative. And that, that's why I guess it was, that's why one of the reasons why I struggle with putting this message out sometimes, and I, I don't know how to do it or how to approach it because when you're in that position, you know, that's ter- the idea of someone saying to me when I was like that, that I'm going to take that away from you. This thing that you're the only thing that's making me feel like I'm a worthy person. I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to try and try other stuff. That's terrifying. And, but I know it's so much better. Um, you know, I guess it's like a, it's like an alcohol, like an ex, sorry, recovering alcoholic saying to an alcoholic, oh, you should try not drinking you know i don't have personal experience with that but my family does so i kind of have some i've we used to run yeah um, like AA meetings in my house and stuff so i have some experience in, in that kind of world um but you know it's it's kind of like that you know it's you you know the the person who's recovering or is recovered knows it's better but when you're in it it just it's encompassing and it's terrifying the idea of not being in it like what what do you think about that do you like how do you think it's a very difficult question. Like I said, I've been trying to think about it for ages, so maybe you don't know, but yeah. Um, yeah, what do you think? How do we approach that? I think, I, I suppose if I answer it first in regards to sort of my timeline and the time when I realised that, you know what, like I, I, I'd realised what bulimia was, I knew, and it, it went from sort of, it, at least in my head, it went from me choosing it to it choosing me. Mm. um and it was now controlling me and he sort of uh, mentioned when I did Hannah's podcast and I spoke about it then like me, me dad always drilled it into me like never be a yes man never never be someone's yes man and I became bulimia's yes man whenever I needed to purge it had gone from me choosing it and so then I thought in my head I sort of linked the boxing and the bulimia together and I quit boxing and things got so much worse like it went from sort of I was I mean I say I'm functioning if you to ask family or friends they'd have probably said something different but I felt like I was functioning I didn't have any other sort of I wasn't I wouldn't say I was depressed I probably was but I I felt happy I felt good and and it was great but I knew that I couldn't get back at ring as as weak as I was I, I, I only ever actually boxed competitively twice in my second fight this guy was terrible, really strong, but terrible. And he sort of threw this big, silly punch and I hit him. He was looking at the floor. I sort of hit him with everything. I had a right uppercut and then he sort of knocked his head up. He was looking at it and I caught him with a left hook and he just sort of grunted at me and walked towards me. And it was at then when I was like, right, this, you know, this ain't going great. Mm. But then when I quit the boxing, it got so much worse. Like I, I became in incredibly depressed I wouldn't leave the room like my eating disorder just spiked in terms of sort of frequency severity um I became I'm sort of quite open about this now which I haven't been I sort of became I was presented with sort of suicidal ideation um where I'd I'd planned everything I was gonna I was gonna end it like 
storage boxes that I needed to pack my stuff away. And I sometimes think to myself that, you know, just like you said, I'm telling you, if I was to sit in front of, you know, the equivalent of me, a young, uh, a young man or woman that was boxing and, and suffering, and I had to say to me, you know, drop the sport, drop, you need to quit the sport and get into treatment. Those years between quitting the sport and getting treatment were the worst that I ever had. And if I'd have stayed in the boxing, it probably wouldn't have been that bad. If that makes any sense, I don't know if I'm yeah. sort of rambling a little bit, but yeah, it's, um, and I think in terms of the second part of the question of like, how do we do it? I think it is at the moment just talking and I don't know, just explaining that this is what's happening. And I suppose that ties in a little bit to what we were saying earlier, you know, maybe if, if I was a coach and one of my boxers just dropped off the face of the earth and stopped coming in the gym, reach out to him, you know, give him a call, turn up at the house, you know, what's going on, mate, you know. Um, it's so difficult because you can't sort of put someone in an arm lock and force them into treatment. It's, it's, and yeah, and, and, and it's, it's just, it's really difficult and talking's great and, and it's amazing. And, and if I'd have listened, I, I really do wish that this sort of, this sort of influx in people speaking about mental health on podcasts and documentaries and things like that, I'd, I wish I'd have seen that when I was boxing. Cause I think I, I'd like to think it might've made a difference. Mm. Um, but it's just such a difficult question as I suppose you know more than I do sort of working directly in that sort of operational side of the mental health sector. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I know better than anyone else, but I, I guess I, I have, I have ideas regarding it. And, and first of all, thank you for, for sharing all that. I've, I've also had experience with the kind of suicidal thoughts and the, 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 is yeah planning it out and that kind of stuff and um, I know how horrible that is and um yeah for people uh, who are listening at home it, you I can't I can't I'm kind of going off topic here but I just I have this sense yeah. of wanting to say something if anyone is listening I can't stress enough how important it is just to say to someone because I've been there and I've been I've been certain that it's the right choice for me I've been I've been 100% certain and the only reason you know I think the, the only thing I think the reason that I didn't was because I, I thought I should at least I'm just going to tell my mom what I'm thinking and I just need to tell someone what I'm thinking um just because what if it's not maybe I feel certain but what if I might as well just right and that I'm so thankful that I did that because I now realize that it is never the answer um, and if you are feeling that way please do reach out to someone um, or you know, call call a helpline. You know, call call something. Call Samaritans. You can Google their number. I don't know off by I think it's one one six one two three actually. Um, but you, know, you can you can Google it and find it. So please do. Um, but anyway, sorry, I'm I'm going off on topic there. I was just I felt um the need to say that. But um yeah, I think I think definitely. You, know, you were saying um you you got to that point where you when you came out of boxing it, it got so much worse. And I I think the the importance of that is the fact that you got to that point where boxing was everything and, and you didn't know anything else that you could use. Cause from what it sounds like anyway, and you might tell me I'm wrong, but you, you stopped boxing and then you didn't have a source of like worthiness because every boxing was your source. Um, and you get, you're nodding at me. So I presume you, that's it. Yes. But I think you, know, what we need to address there is, you know, especially at a youth level, if you're a youth level coach or or a personal trainer, someone getting into fitness or something, then we need to start there being this this side of of 
if you're getting some if you're getting a young person or it's someone's first time getting into an exercise based or dietary based thing whether it's fitness or sport or whatever we need to start also incorporating other things so make the importance of you know, coming up with you know the fact and then prioritizing or showing people their worthiness as a person in within their family or how they make other people on the team feel they're a nice person or you're trying to prioritize like helping them come up with things creatively or or in business or in in education or in whatever some some other factors of their being that they can be that they, they can say that they're proud of and they're there that is you know a great part of them and maybe you know i know coaches think that's kind of wishy-washy and you know, maybe at like an olympic level or like super high level maybe you don't need to do that um as much because that athlete hopefully if this this was a thing that happened through the youth development that athlete would understand those things or be at that place where they feel okay with that um yeah and then and then you know then you know, maybe athletes you know at a higher level mood there can be a different system in place but i've been waffling on now so i'm going to stop here but um yeah i think i think it's the it's the case of addressing it from the youth age up so that we don't get people in that position definitely i agree totally i think that part of it, <clears throat> excuse me especially when you like you say when you're dealing with sort of the grassroots the, the sort of young boys and girls coming into a gym be football rugby cricket whatever the sport may be it's it's an it's something to you know loads of times you hear how many times have you heard someone say you know I, I did this and it gave me confidence and it gave me you know um it taught me how to I had a lot of a couple of friends at undergrad that were rugby players not at a great a dead high level they played for like the second team but they were saying you know that that this that the rugby taught them how to the, the work ethic that they put into boxing taught them that, you know, they can do something and you can achieve stuff. And, you know, and I think that's imperative for as people coming into it and that mid-level of sort of, yep, you know, you are really good at this or maybe you're not, but there's this stuff and other stuff. And, you know, look how good you are at speaking to someone and, and just helping them develop the skills, that sort of transferable skills, you know, you very easily in a boxing gym says someone, you know, shot everyone will scream shot it's a little bit like a powerlifting meeting someone just screams hips for no reason it's yeah. um if someone lands like a really good punch everyone will shout shot but it's also maybe you know like that's really nice what you did and, and picking out parts of the personality rather than just what they're doing in the sport because i think like you rightly said i, I it's i think that's when the danger of this is everything you know as soon as i leave that as soon as i leave that door at the end of the gym I'm nothing again and you know I'm gonna have to put a, a gym hoodie on so people know that I'm still affiliated to that gym or something like that it's um I think it's just looking at it in more like a holistic sense really yeah definitely um and I think I've, yeah I think coaches it can be as easy as I think you you can you can put more effort into it but it can be as easy as you know just start conversations with your athlete when you have like your check-in with your athletes because every coach will have a weekly or bi-weekly or whatever check-in with their athlete just start having a, a question in there about their life outside of boxing or their life outside of their sport or whatever it is and you know start just talking about other shit and that it can be that can be the little that it can be as little as that and you know, maybe that won't fix everything but that can be a start you know if, if i think sport is something that really does exist on a hierarchy and you have people 
you know, above other, you know, normally it's the coach or, or it's one of the best athletes in the gym or whatever, and they influence everyone else. And I think if those people can start affecting everyone else, you know, start having these conversations about things outside of that, they could have a knockdown effect and kind of, yeah, have these, have these conversations and start them going and, and help people expand um, the things that, yeah, I always say, you know, it's the things they're leaning on. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's what's that's really important. Yeah, I, I think that it's sort of slightly off, off topic, but I think sort of the same, the same sort of mechanism of action behind it. But I've, I've seen, I've noticed that myself, at work and that's one of the things that's really stood out that so I work as a, a support worker in uh yeah in my borough and people come to us with a, a such a wide range of different psychiatric conditions and um, a, an equally diverse range of sort of severities and you'll sort of start working with some we do the one-to-one stuff and then there's that sort of like a community center type thing upstairs that's just for service users and when you start working with someone one-to-one and there's that identity that we've spoken about, you know, me that I was this boxer and you'll get someone that might be, um, that might have had sort of schizophrenia, for instance, that might have received a diagnosis of, of, of schizophrenia and they'll sort of, I'm schizophrenic. I've like, that. that's my everything. My identity is that. Mm. But then when we sort of go and we, we do the typical support work, it might be just, uh, yeah. You know, could just be getting out of bed, having a shave in the morning and start building that that confidence up and that sort of putting a little bit of routine in and looking away, even though they're there to address this uh, sort of psychiatric condition. You do things that are completely away from that. And it's such a lovely feeling when they then go upstairs into sort of the most social space and just introduce yourself as, you know, I'm Aiden. And it's not I'm Aiden and I'm bulimic or whatever. It's I'm, I'm Aiden, I'm into art or politics whatever it might be and I think if you could apply that into sport like saying yep look you do compete that's fine what are you doing tonight mate when you go home what have you been doing this morning oh that's cool what do you want to do with that you know it's um and not just as sort of tunnel visioned with it I think yeah and I think uh, you know I'm just trying I'm trying to word this I'm trying to think how I'd word this I think that that it tends to be the people who aren't professional who take on the extremes more. And, and the sense I mean, so, you know, I'm thinking example of like, um, I'm thinking of Eddie Hall. He's like a professional strongman. You might know him. He's a um, UK strongman. He's world's strongest man at one stage, you know, Eddie Hall will yeah. train all the time and always be eating meals and stuff like that. And, and that's what he'll show on his YouTube channel. And that's what he'll talk about and stuff. And, but on the other side, he also has his family life and he, you know, he'll, he'll be doing business and he'll be talking with his mates about other stuff whilst he's training. You know, I, I, I go the same, well, I, I don't anymore, but I used to train in the same gym as him. So, you know, I'd hear his conversations whilst he was training and he'd be talking about, you know, just random shit, not, nothing to do with powerlifting or strongman. Um, but then, you know, people like who I was and the people who are getting into it at that lower level, we see the, YouTube videos and the training and they're talking about they're always eating and always training or whatever and we think oh so you know if I talk about someone else in the gym then I'm you know I'm lesser I'm I'm worse I'm you know whatever and I think that needs to be addressed and you know, I think maybe these big names of people who need to 
or we need to try and get start starting talking about this kind of stuff or you know starting to show that they're not obsessing as fully as people might think they are um because i think that's the issue is we see the face we see the instagram accounts and the, the youtube videos and of them training and eating and we think that's all they talk about and all they do so that's what we should aspire for but i don't even think they're doing it i think it's just that's just what they show because that's what people want to watch or, or whatever is that the same in the boxing yeah. world sorry spoiling no no it's um yeah i do think that i think it's i always used to like watching the um like Ricky Atten was, and still is, Ricky Atten and Joe Calzaghe like my favourite sort of boxers ever, really. But HBO used to do these sort of behind the scenes, I think called it 24-7 access or something like that. And it was like the fight camp building up. It'd be like four or five, like 30-minute episodes. And I used to love whenever Ricky Atten, well, I mean, looking back, it was, yeah, I was only young during his career, but I used to like, I still watch him now going back because you get the other boxers and it's, Every time the camera's on, it's like, you know, I'm skipping or like Mayweather screaming, hard work and dedication and this sort of stuff. But then with Ricky, it would be on phone to his kids, you know, I can't wait to have a Guinness after the fight or go and go to Chippy or go to Chinese or something like that. And it's, I think that's so important. One thing that it's just actually jumped out to me, and I love watching the Olympics, any sport, the shooting, archery, diving, whatever. And one thing that really stood out to me is, um, you, I'm not sure if you've the pictures of Tom Daly knitting while he was waiting for his time to go and dive. Yeah. And I come watching it and I was like, you, you're about to go 10 metres up in the air, throw yourself upside down God knows how many times and plummet into six metres of water. And you're knitting a jumper and it just, it blew my mind. And I, and I suppose, yeah, you were saying, talking about that and about how Eddie used to speak about his kids and just random, just nothingness, really. And it's, yeah, I suppose it is a good point because you've got this guy that's just gone on to win a gold medal at Olympics, knitting a jumper in between sort of dives. It's just, it, whereas for me, I, you know, when I was ever, even now, and when I go running, I've got to do stretching and I've got to do the specific stretches, the specific way or it won't work and I've got to hit, specific times even if I feel better and it's you know you just just chill a little bit with it and just yeah it's um yeah the, the Tom Daly thing I've, I've got a big silly grin on my face the Tom Daly just a big pink love heart it's um yeah it just fits in so so evenly to what you've just been saying yeah it's a per perfect example and I think it is so true and, and yeah may, maybe I'm maybe I'm an extreme and I, I am definitely extreme you know, I'm, I'm definitely very high in like neuroticism and and you know all that but you know, for someone like me who, who felt like he had no worth and no identity and was a man who who you know, really, uh, for whatever reason, I had this this so I placed so much importance on masculinity. If I see someone who's always talking about the gym, always eating, always doing fitness, I see that as the goal. And if I'm anything below that, you know, if I want, if I do have a conversation about anything else, I see that as my problem, my weakness, my uh, whatever. So it, it can seem silly, but yeah, you know, an example I'm thinking of is like, um, I don't know, you're, you're into fighting, so I imagine you watch UFC, but um, Khabib, the the um, wrestler from Kazakhstan, is it Kazakhstan or something like that? Um, I think Kazakhstan, yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> he, you know, he's known for, you know, he always talks about, he's, he's been wrestling, 
all his life ever since he was a baby and it's all he does and, and whatever. But I bet, you know, I bet even when he's at his wrestling and he's been there for, even if he's there all day, I bet in between wrestling, he's talking about shit and you hear him on interviews just, just having laughs and stuff. But when you, it, I think that needs to be pushed more, at least highlighted more by athletes or by whoever um, that, because for me, if I, you know, if, 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 again, with like body, for me with bodybuilding, when I was in the gym, I, my thing would be like, I'm not allowed to have a conversation about anything other than how my reps felt and how my, how everything, you know, that was all I was allowed to talk about. And if I talked about something else, I felt wrong. I felt like I was weak. And, and because that was the, that was what I'd, yeah, I don't know if it was pushed on me. I'm, again, I'm trying to, I don't even know, you know, I'm, this is all new kind of thoughts, but I don't know if that was pushed on me or if it was something that I generated myself, but I saw weakness in doing anything other than bodybuilding, anything other than something that pushed me towards being a better gym person. I don't know if it was the same um, for you, but yeah, I just had that guilt about anything that wasn't directly towards my goal. Yeah, it was the same. I think for myself, it was that sort of behavior training myself probably played quite a big role in me developing an eating disorder in the first place but from being very very young I was even sort of that young that parents have told me about it I was sort of a toddler I'd become fixated with something I wouldn't be able to come away from it it's actually um, a, a family video from when I'm about 18 months and it's at Christmas time and someone's bought me this school bus and you press it and it's like bum, bum, bah, bum, bah, this tune that plays and family tried to get me to open something else and I wouldn't, they had to hide the bus <laughs> from me so I'd open the other present. And it's, and even now, if, you know, if, if, if I'm watching, if I fall into sort of a rabbit hole and I'm, I'm or I get my teeth in something, for, for the minute I was looking at sort of graduate schemes and I'll spend hours and hours like researching the, the tiniest little piece of something and, I have to know everything. I have to ask people's opinions. It's not enough just seeing it in black and white. And like you say in the gym, when I'm running, I, you know, I'll sort of look at my phone on the Garmin app and I'm like, well, where did I drop? Where did I drop pace? You know, where am I in comparison to last week? And rather than just being, just, just do it. Right. Which is yeah. for me, such a, a big thing. So I think that's such a massive part of my personality that if I'm doing something, it's 110%. And then I'll sort of, yeah i'm bored with that i'm gonna go to something else now and and yeah that's sort of quite a recurring theme i think yeah and it's a hundred percent it's a hundred and ten percent in comparison to other people as well and this it reminds me and this is something i don't know if this is that relevant um but it's something that i spoke i still i see a counselor every week um and my most recent counseling session i was talking with him about um you know i'm so obsessed with comparison and so obsessed with working at optimum amounts or whatever to the point where i'm so obsessed by definitions of what things are um like so for for example i was speaking with my boss at work and um he said he said something like you know this this was a this was a big project or like this was a this is going to be a big bit of work and it was something that was going to like really it was going to take like you know a couple hours so then i was obsessed with so when when other people say this can be a big bit of work, does that mean it's only two hours? Because for me, if I said that, it would be this. And then I got obsessed. And then I was thinking, so if I tell people I'm going to do a big bit of work, does that mean I have to get it done in two hours? And I, I'm, I'm obsessed with these definitions to, to make sure that I'm perfect. 
um, and I'm, I make sure that I'm working at 110% in all aspects of my life and I have to know exactly what is the right amount of effort and then I need to be doing more than that and uh, yeah it's not again like I said millions I've said or many times in this podcast but I'm not perfect and this is this is proof of it I'm still struggling with this kind of stuff but yeah I don't know if you resonate with that at all but it kind of it made me think of it then when you were saying you know how you would compare people on your on your phone like where would you be compared to other people and I'm the same I have to know where other I am so obsessed with knowing what other people are so that then I can compare myself to it yeah it's it's quite strange you just said it I think it just <clears throat> excuse me a lot of things in common and uh, yeah that's the, the the comparison thing's massive for me and I think it's the definition of you know if um again just ask it, this is an easy example because it's in sport, but just in general, sort of, I'm training for a, a half marathon to, um, with a friend and on a just a generic program I found online and it was sort of, I don't know, six miles at an easy pace. I'm like, well, what's an easy pace? Mm-hmm. So I sort of, I had to research what percentage of like a max effort it'd have to be to be classed as, as easy. And yeah, at work, if, if if my sort of clinical line manager is to say, you know, this is a tricky case, you know, you need to be sort of on, you know, on your feet with this one and keep on the ball. I sort of think, oh, does, you know, what, well, what's that mean? Is it, do I have to change? Do I have to be, and I'll speak, and I'll say this to, in supervision to my, my, my line manager, you know, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? And she's like, oh no, just do what you're doing. It's just, this is a tricky case. And in my head, I, I'm like, I, I can't understand then what's the point in telling me, I suppose like your boss, it's, you know, this is a big project. I'm like, well, either give me specifics or just tell me it's a project. Because <laughs> if you if you don't give me the specifics of this is a big project because it needs six hours a day for six weeks, five days a week, I'll send myself mad. I'll, I'll it's yeah, it's um, and and it, ba- it baffles. And- sorry, sorry, I'm putting it, but it, but it baffles me that other people don't think that like uh, obviously you know I, I know that w- the way that i'm thinking is is you know, is the problem it's not other people um but it just it amazes me that other people can hear someone say something like that and it's like they just put like oh i'll just carry on doing what i always do like I, it doesn't matter like, but that's what other people do and that literally blows my mind um but it shows, it shows how far i need to go but yeah sorry i, I put it in there but yeah i just i resonate with that 100 percent. yeah definitely and I've had so many sort of, I, I just thinking like with my girlfriend, she's a very laid by, just, you know, just gets on with things, just takes them as it comes, takes them in a stride. And I mentioned it later, like the buses, I'm like, oh, when's the bus going to come? She's, oh, it'll come when it gets here. I'm like, no, it won't. <laughs> it'll come at a specific time. And I want to know if I'm, if I'm meeting friends at a pub for a few pints at six, do I need when do we need to set off or five ish? I'm like, well, is that ten past, quarter past? What what's ish? Ish is yeah. no good to me, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I'm I'm early to everything because of that because I'm obsessed with I can't I've I've been I'll be like an hour early to things like on on the regular because I'm like, but what if this? I'm just I'm yeah I'm so yeah I overthink things so much. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an issue, but yeah, it's, it's it's not it's not debilitating me at the moment, but it is something I'm you know, I'm constantly working on, <clears throat> and I'm in. I think, you know, like I said before, I'm I've been seeing a counselor every week, and I'm I'm not in a bad I'm not in a bad place, um, but I see I you know I've said this multiple times on the pod, but I see counselling as as something I'm going to do for the rest of my life, and maybe I'll 
um, you know, as I start to get into a place where I feel more kind of comfortable, I'll start having it less often. But I, you know, I see counselling and, you know, talking therapy as a, um, it's a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a progressive thing rather than a, like a reactive thing. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to like fix anything at the moment. I'm trying to develop. That's the word I was looking for. It's, it's a development thing for me. I feel like I, it helps me <clears throat> understand myself and understand how I think. And that helps me live a more fulfilled life. Definitely. And I think it's, um, <clears throat> we, we've spoken openly that, you know, the first time we'd arranged to do the, the, the podcast, it, I sort of knocked it on edge just because I weren't in a great place. And I think the the talking and being more sort of just going with it and not seeing it as a reactionary thing, sort of going for help, which is sort of what I did and led to things not, you know, things sort of, um, yeah, taking a turn for the worst. And I also think that, you know, this, this sort of, I don't know if stigma is the right word or, but yeah, I'll sort of run with it, this stigma that to, to go to a counsellor or go to see a, a psychotherapist or have you, that there's got to be something wrong in quotation marks. You know, you've, you've got to have a, you've got to have something going wrong. And it's not quite a big claim, but I'd, I'd challenge anyone to sort of go and see a counsellor, even in sort of the complete picture of health, to I'd, I'd sort of challenge anyone to go and see a counsellor and not find it beneficial. Maybe not, mm. you know, every week or twice, maybe it'd be once a month, once, whenever just having a check-in um, just because these things creep up and it doesn't have to be, I suppose that's one thing that me and Hannah have spoken about sort of off the podcast just when we've met up is that it's any sort of mental health difficulties. I think of it like a spectrum where it can be where you sort of inpatient sort of three to one arm's length observations or you sort of, your sleep's a little bit rubbish. You, you're having a couple of arguments with, with friends and you're feeling just a little bit not great. And that's just as important to speak about as, as the big stuff, right? And I think it's it's more familiar for, for people to listen to. And it's, but yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I'd urge anyone, just like you said, just like yourself, to just go and speak, counselling, whether you think there's something up or not, really. I think it's just such a beneficial tool to have. Yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, and Aiden, I'm I'm noticing that we've we I, I didn't even ask you any of the questions today. Um, we've just kind of been going, which has been it's testimony to being just a nice conversation. Um, but I try and keep these to roughly an hour, and we're already kind of encroaching on an hour. So I'm gonna kind of get us on to um, the final few questions. Yep. And there's a new segment in the podcast, so it is time for the devil's advocate. It's the devil's advocate. <laughs> so, Aiden, today's, today's devil's advocate. I've got a new, I don't know if you've listened to the most recent pod, but I don't actually, it might not have, might not be on yet. I think, I think there is one up now with it on, but I've got a jingle now. Um, it's, I've listened okay. to it back and it's kind of like if people listen with headphones, I'm, I apologize if you're not. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of like ASMR, which I didn't I didn't mean it to be, but I feel like it kind of creates that scary atmosphere. It's like it's like fire in the background and me saying it's the devil's advocate. Um, but anyway, everyone else has just heard that go on, so I'm not going to explain it too much. So today's devil's advocate is boxing is a sport where you take pain, so shouldn't boxers also be gritting their teeth through emotional struggles too? Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a brilliant question. 
I um yes, yeah, I'm gonna sound like I'm sort of getting splinters in my bum from sitting on the fence, but yes and no. And I think I touched on this a little bit earlier on, in that sport in general, no matter what sport it is, when you compete, it goes from being sort of a, a healthy thing that you have in your life to probably you're doing yourself damage in the long run, right? Whether that's physical or what have you, you know, sort of joint pain and things. And I like to try and in this case, see sort of my uh, like mental well-being, like my physical well-being. And I had a bum shoulder when I was boxing. I still have problems with it now. And I'd take a couple of days off training because of my shoulder and I didn't think anything of it. But at the same time, sometimes I think, you know what, I've got to grimace and just push through this, even if my shoulder is hurting, maybe I'll not throw my jab as much because I've got a fight in six weeks. And when push comes to shove, when you do get in a boxing ring, there's no place for political correctness or I wonder, you know, this guy might be a really nice guy. All I'm thinking is I'm going to put my fist sort of through your stomach and try and grab hold of your spine sort of thing. <laughs> you just, you, you focus fully on that. But if I was to sort of throw a shot and get an incredibly sharp pain in my, in my shoulder, I'm like, right, I need to back off. There's something, something's wrong here. Something's broken. I've torn something. And I think it's same with the emotional stuff. You know, it's when you're making weight, you sort of go to, and I've, this might have been an adult thing, but you'd go to bed and be sort of twitching and, and just, the emotional side of it and the headaches and I think you are going to have to engage in behaviors that are very detrimental towards your mental health and will cause you some emotional stress I've cried in gyms and things like that and it's it's that threshold again it's sort of been able to sit with coaches other people in the gym whoever it might be and sit and think yeah do you know what I do need to keep pushing on for this I need to sort of toughen up a little bit bite down on the gum shield and keep going forward or this is actually spilling over a lot and, and, and it's manifesting into something more sinister. And at that point, there needs to be someone, be the athlete, the coach, whoever, to sit and think, Do you know what, we're going to throw the towel in for this one and get you some help, the same way you'd send someone to a physio. Um, but yeah. I think that's I a really that good answer. Too, uh, in the middle. No, I think that's a really good answer. I think, I think often... Um... You know, I think I think that, again a bit of a controversial opinion potentially, but I think this world focuses too much on on you know, either yes or no. I think I think I think most of the best answers are in the middle or so, you know somewhere in the middle. Um, I think because because there are there are usually good side there are good parts to both sides, and I, it's the same in mental health. And it's yeah, it's not something I spoke about on the podcast, and it, and it's a thing that I haven't thought through enough to be certain in my answer here um so i may disagree with what i'm about to say but i think having a you know, healthy mental health or your good mental health um some of that encompasses um when you feel a bit down kind of pushing through it and and you're taking it on for a bit and and you're trying it out seeing seeing what it is exploring it whatever you're facing it and going with it um and yeah I, you you can't every time you get upset or feel down or whatever or feel depressed or feel anxious or whatever you can't 
you, you know, if for people listening at home, if you are in a really bad place, obviously you you do need to speak to somebody. But if you're in a place where you are just you, know, you feel a bit down, or you feel a bit sad, or you feel like you need to cry, sometimes sometimes you do just you just you know do have a little cry and then crack on, or you know just kind of grit your teeth and push through, and then you know and then you can talk about it after, or you know as long as you're not pushing it off, you know, pathologically or you know, in such a long long term way, you know I think. I think part of a healthy mind is the ability to feel sad and feel down and carry on. Cause you know, like, like we spoke, I spoke before, you know, when's that line of obsession or your, your compulsion or whatever, when is that line, when it is a, an issue, when is exercise an issue is when it becomes you know, clinically significant distress. But that, that means that there is also non-clinically significant distress. Sometimes you'll feel a bit sad or whatever, and that's okay. And you can push through and it's okay, but it's knowing that line. And that's where, again, people, one of the questions that people might say is, well, when, when do I know that line? But that's another proof of how important it is to speak to other people because other people can help you find that line or see that line in you know, their, their your they can say, oh, that sounds a bit much, or that sounds quite like quite difficult. Do you, you know, do, do you sure you, you're okay to push on? Or, you know, you can have those conversations. So yeah, yeah, I've really good answer and, and it got me thinking. And um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good point. Thank you. I think it's a brilliant question as well, which um, yeah, raised a few airs, I'm sure. <laughs> well that that's why yeah again I, i've said this on multiple pods and I'll, I'll eventually i'll get over the newness of devil's advocate but i really like the question because oh, i really like the segment because yeah so often these these podcasts are like like today's one where you know i asked you on is because i think that we you know, we are in, in yeah, i like the way you think and i like you your um yeah yeah i like who you are from what i can tell anyway and, and from what i knew before i'd spoke to you um so yeah all the podcasts are normally me just being like, yeah, you're awesome. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. This is amazing. And then, then I'm just like, I need to ask something a bit controversial and kind of, yeah. And um, get them to defend themselves for a moment. So yeah. Thank you for a great answer there. Um, so on to the final three questions. I ask everyone who comes on this podcast, three questions at the end. Um, I know you are a listener, so you may be aware of the three questions anyway. Um, but the first question is, uh, so it's not a question question, but, um, you know, name a person, real or fictional, who inspires you? So with this one, I think I'm going to be a bit cheeky. I've got two. One of them's an actual person. The other one's a quote, which I don't know if it, if I'm being, um, yeah, I've been too uh, widespread with that one. But the person that um, is a gentleman by the name of Mark Armrod, um, and he's a, a, an ex-Royal Marine triple amputee um and i think in his approach to life embodies what we've just been speaking about about you know that sometimes you've got to yeah you know i've been dealt this is what i'm currently struggling with but i've got to keep pushing forward um he's done sort of like 5k um open water swims with one arm and he's done like charity runs and things like that um and just his approach towards his physical ailments and the mentality i i really like listening to his stuff um and I once heard a quote, and I, f I cannot remember the gentleman's name. And um, yeah, but it was um, the mass the mass of men live lives of silent desperation and go to their graves with their internal songs unsung. And I can remember just reading it. It was like a, I heard it on a podcast somewhere, and it it just really hit me. I was like, yeah, that's 
I, I couldn't tell you why. It was just something that really stood out off the page for me. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I'd need to see that written down to fully like explore it, but it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and I'm, I've, I've heard of Mark before. Um, I did a, I, th- I believe it's the same Mark. Um, we did a, I did a podcast with the masculinity duo and they, he was part of their projects, I believe. Um, so we spoke about him, okay. him briefly. He sounds like an amazing, amazing guy. Um, but you should listen to that podcast because yeah. I think we speak, they, they speak a bit about him in that. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, definitely. The second question is, uh, a phase in your life that you didn't like at the time, but looking back, you know, positives came from it. I think for me, um, it's probably a, a dead cliche answer, but the time when I quit boxing to when I received treatment, um, just because I think in terms of how I see the world, I just see it through different lenses now that I'd have never, ever experienced. Uh, sorry, never, yeah, never, I'd have never been able to do if it wasn't for those sort of two, two and a half years. Mm. Um, it's in, in the sort of rawest form, it can just be, you know, it's not, you know, today isn't as bad as that. But I, I find it very easy, like the, even this, just meeting yourself and feel comfortable and just getting chatting to someone, it's, if they hadn't have gone through that, I wouldn't appreciate this sort of past hour and 20 minutes that we've just spent together. Like I wouldn't appreciate that as much as I wouldn't be able to appreciate that as much if I hadn't experienced sort of, yeah, those like two, two and a half years really. Yeah. And again, I, this that's my favorite question because I think it's really important. Um, you know, if you are going through something like that, it is, you know, it's worth getting through it. And cause you do learn so much and, you know, a lot of times the people I interview on this podcast are people who have had you know, issues with mental health. Um, and I think the the level of, cause you have to, you have to look within and you have to learn about yourself and the level of um, self-awareness and introspection that you gain from get, pushing through mental health issues and, and getting to the other side, other people just don't get that or they're not, at least they're not forced into it. And I think it really does it's a really good it's a really good attribute to come yeah, out with definitely. sorry i just i just burped there apologies for people listening <laughs> <laughs> i say something really nice and then i was like Ugh. um <laughs> anyway uh, and the final question Aiden, is a phrase to live by so i it's something that again was said to me in uh, in treatment and it's step by step day by day um and that that i found um massively important i think that was said to me at my lowest and i think no matter what you're trying to achieve if you you know if you want to become you know a top lawyer a top swimmer and you're just getting into sixth form or what have you you know you're looking up at that you're probably going to fail if that's your goal it's sort of breaking it down bit by bit Mm. um and i once heard a stand-up comedy show comedian say that a day without laughter is a day wasted and i think that's probably a better one to uh to finish on <laughs> i like that i like that is that um daniel sloss was it daniel sloss who said I that I feel it, like... it might not have been might not have been it was a it, it probably it could be reused i think it was a comedian josh i think josh daniels they call him or josh edwards i think um but i imagine he, he's not got sort of a, a copyright claim on it 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe, maybe I, I definitely I'm a big fan of comedians, so I feel like I'll have definitely seen that show. I love I watch a lot of stand up. Yeah. Um. So probably I've probably seen it. I'm just wrongly attributing it to somebody. Um. But yeah. Anyway, Aiden, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Definitely so. It's been brilliant to meet you. Thank you very much. Yeah, honestly, honestly, it's been one of the easiest podcasts I've ever done. It was just, I feel like I, we just, we have so much in common. We have such similar experiences. Yeah. It was so there's a lot of the time I was just like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> like it's just, yeah, it's just a lot of <laughs> kind of um, back and forth, which was very easy to do. So thank you. Thank you for being such a great guest. Um, everyone listening at home as always thank you so much for making it all the way through one of the podcasts and i hope to see you at the next one bye thank you so much for listening to that episode here at my minds we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast so please if you can give it a share each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that also, if you want to check out myminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.